always uh, just a, a great privilege to be able to preach on a Sunday morning, but not only that, Easter morning. And as I shared last week a little bit, it's pretty easy to do your job when uh, the text is so uh, easy to, uh, in a sense, uh, explain because of how important this day is. The fact is that you can read, whether it's in John or whether it's in Mark, Matthew, Luke, or uh, even the accounts of Paul talking about what uh, value and significance the resurrection means. In fact, Paul himself is the one that says, without this resurrection, we are the, the fools of the fools. There is nothing that we stand on. But with this resurrection, because of this truth, it, it, it means everything. You know, sometimes we can jump really quickly to uh, Easter and talk about the resurrection, but I want to make sure we don't miss yesterday, what Silent Saturday really uh, impl implicated in the idea that Good Friday took place and then Sunday Easter comes, but there's this silence of Saturday. And you have to understand this for us to really grasp what was going on on that first resurrection Sunday with the disciples and with Mary, as we're going to look at here in a, in a little bit. This silent Saturday, they uh, believed that everything that they had seen with their own eyes was truly what was happening and going on, that, that Jesus, their friend, their teacher, has been crucified, that he was dead, that there was no hope beyond that, that there was no tomorrow, that there was no future, that their whole world was turned upside down. They had nothing that they could hold on to at this moment. And this silence of <coughs> Saturday is where we find that uh, Mary is when she arrives uh, at the gravestone, at the tomb. Yet again, we recognize and we know that Sunday is coming and that celebration there. But, but before we know that, let's stay there for a second as we enter in, in John chapter 20, this story about the resurrection and recognizing that we don't know yet Sunday has come. And yet this silent Saturday, and as Mary enters, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while she, it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. You maybe have uh, understood or looked at that before. If you've never done that, I, I really want to encourage you to, to think about what that means, to, to understand that this wasn't just a, a little pebble. This wasn't just an easy kind of stone that one or two people could roll away. This was believed to be about a 1.5 ton stone, about 3,000 pound stone that wasn't just rolled into place, but it was actually dropped into place. And there was kind of special grooves for it so that it would seal it. And to be able to move this would take significant amount of effort and work. Now for Mary, again, this is why this is important. This doesn't dawn on her. And if any of you have ever been in a moment of grief, you recognize that normal things don't quite <coughs> always dawn upon you. Things that you have done before kind of are, are hard to process. That's why one of the greatest things we can do when we come alongside someone who is grieving, just help them through their day. Because, they, they, you know, you'll forget how to drive. You'll forget what, you know, that you're even supposed to eat. You'll forget all these things. So for Mary, as she showed up here, she was still in silent Saturday. She hadn't quite realized that Sunday had come. And so in her mind, she wasn't quite processing this, but, but we can for a second know the significance of what this stone means, that this is the end of a reversal. That as Jesus came, he came to reverse what sin and death had caused. 
In fact, you can look at some of the reversals <coughs> that he had when you compare him to uh, Adam and Eve. Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane earlier on to be obedient, reversing Adam and Eve's disobedience. Adam and Eve received a curse of thorns. Jesus willingly wore a crown of thorns. Adam and Eve lost life from the fruit of a tree. Jesus gives life on a tree meant for death. Adam and Eve was expelled from paradise. Jesus <coughs> invites us to be with him in paradise. See, this is what that stone rolled away means. This is the significance of the reversal that is taking place because of what Jesus did on this day. This is why this day is so significant. This is why this day is not just nice thoughts, uh, good ideas, uh, a, a fun holiday that we can celebrate. But this day is the very <coughs> foundation of, of everything we believe because of the reversal that Jesus did. In fact, we just sang, out of the silence came a roar. That stone being rolled away was the roar of the lion. Out of, the st out of that <coughs> empty tomb, we find that death has no claim. This is why in the first century, as Mike had said already, we uh, use this idea that he has risen. And he has risen indeed is the response and the <coughs> idea that was uh, used in the early church to signify what this day meant. What this moment meant in this time. The, the, the changing of everything. You read on in the, in the story of Acts and you read on in the early church, you, you see what kind of turmoil this caused. You see how this changed everything for those who put their faith and trust in it. That he has risen and he has risen indeed, that the, the tomb is empty, that the, the, the lion roared from the empty tomb, that death has no claim, death has no sting. Yet again, we live in this tension where we don't always necessarily remember this. We don't always fully grasp this. Even maybe some of us here are even questioning this idea because the idea or the recognition is that we have an enemy in our lives that is trying to remind or tell us that the reversal isn't true. We have a, a, an enemy in, in our midst that is trying to tell us well, the things of Jesus are, aren't really what they are. In fact, we, we shouldn't really put our hope and faith and trust in them because it's not going to give us what we really need. We have an enemy at work trying to remind us that this reversal isn't true, just like he was doing with Adam and Eve back in the garden. A little bit of truth sprinkled into a little bit of a lie to convince others to do what really he wants us to do. In fact, it's interesting as we sing about Jesus being a lion, is the fact is that uh, our adversary, the devil, is, is portrayed to be like a lion. 1 Peter 5a, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, <coughs> prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You have to recognize one very significant, important word in there is he is like a roaring lion. You see, Satan is very good at convincing us that he is something he is not. Yet he does it in such a way that we would be convinced that, that he is. 
And so when we begin to start (coughs) doubting whether or not this could really be true, could Jesus really defeat sin and death? Could he really raise again? Could he, he really claim victory? Can we really get in on this deal? We start to, to believe that the like a roaring lion is the real thing. We begin to, to believe this like a roaring lion is something that, that, that is true. And, and, and we start to, start to follow the like a roaring lion. And we forget the real thing. In fact, many times we fall for these, fi- these lies because, again, the adversary, the Satan, he's the father of lies. You are the devil, or sorry, you are the father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was murdering from the beginning, and he does not share, stand in truth, but there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. You see, what's so important in this moment here of, uh, of Sunday is coming of the resurrection and, and, and the empty tomb is it is a, a claim of truth that puts an end to all the lies, but Satan's not going to give up that easy. He's going to try to tell us that was 2,000 years ago. That doesn't have any impact on your life today. Or that was cute and that was fun for those who were, who were religious, but you're not that way. You're different now. And we, we begin to, to follow into this. Let me tell you something about Satan. He's a pathological liar. By definition, he's a pathological liar. You look at what a pathological liar is, they they lie about everything. They they lie to get what they want regardless of the impact of others, and their lies begin to create a false sense of reality. And this is what's what's going on. This This is what's happening. And if we are honest about our own journey, our own walk, we probably have these moments and these times where we believe it, where we fall into these lies. We feel powerless, unloved, unworthy, and far from God. And all of those feelings that we have are because of some lies that are spoken into our hearts and into our minds that that we begin to entertain. We allow it to have a a seat at the table of of our thoughts. And as it sits at the table, it begins to to grow and fester and begins to uh, spread like a cancer into all other things. And we walk away feeling that we are unloved, unworthy, or far away from God. You see, I think it's in this thought and this motion we enter back into this story. And if we come back into John chapter 20, Mary had shown up and she saw that the tomb was empty and she got the disciples and then uh, they ran there. They went in, they looked at it and then we pick it up in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she (coughs) wept, she stopped to look in the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One on the head, one on the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around. She saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. 
Now again, Mary's not thinking through all of these things. She's not processing the fact of the angels are there. She's not processing the fact that she, she knows Jesus. And, and what we're going to find out here in a minute, she, Jesus hadn't changed so dramatically that, that she wouldn't have recognized him. She should have recognized him. She isn't processing the fact that Jesus' body, somehow she was going to go and carry his body. I, I don't know if you've ever had to, to move someone that can't move. Like that's, that's a lot of weight. Not only that, but all the, all the spices and other things that they would have used to embalm his body, he, he would have been extremely heavy to move. She's not thinking through all of these things, but in this moment, we also see emotionally she is still in distress and weeping here in this. There's a part of Mary here that has believed that death has won. There's part of Mary here that still isn't quite grasping the fact that Jesus has been victorious. She hasn't quite realized that Sunday has come. She is still believing in some of these lies <coughs> and thinking that like a roaring lion is victorious. So if you are in that spot this morning, if you're feeling that <coughs> in any sort of way, don't, don't feel like you're, you're, you're abnormal or something is different or wrong with you or that you are just in a different class than anyone else. We, we can all be in that. Mary's in this spot even in this moment. Yet I want to share something so sweet, so powerful with you this morning. A simple verse in the next verse we see. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, Mary, at some point, even in this conversation, who she thought was the gardener, had turned her back on him. She was not interested in whatever he was saying before, but now, as Jesus said her name, Mary, at that moment, she turned, and she said to him in Arabic, teacher, teacher. This, this, this very powerful moment, even though the stone had rolled away and intellectually she could have processed what that meant, even though that the, there were angels there, even though that there was a gardener, even though the disciples had seen that, even though you can even look at the, the clothes that were there, there's all this intellectual stuff she could have processed in that moment. To believe the fact of that Jesus had raised from the dead, she still was not there yet. It took a moment of Jesus to say her name. In what can only be described as an intimate gesture and sweetness of Jesus being tender to say her name. I, I know in our lives we hear many different times we hear our names. Oftentimes it's not in a good context, right? A lot of times we're getting in trouble, we get our full name, right? Get that Daniel Jeremiah, what are you doing, okay? A lot of times in my house, you don't get called your own name, you get called the dog's name because you're so upset, I'm so upset or frustrated. Sometimes, you know, you might be at a, you know, a, a Walmart or it might be somewhere and, and you know, I, I remember when I was younger being lost one time in a store and over the loudspeaker, you heard your name kind of real, crack, you know, crackling and all this kind of distorted. But there's also something sweet that maybe if you've been gone for a while or maybe you were in a difficult and a hardship when someone just 
very sweetly, intimately says your name. Because in that moment, as you hear their na- your name being said, it comes with all the reminders of who that person is that is saying that. So if a lost child is, is lost and then found, and then a father or mother will say their name, <clears throat> whether it's somebody that is proposing to their girlfriend and they say their name in a sweet way, whether it's a recognition or an honor that someone has worked hard for and their favorite professor is up there and says their name, or in this moment, it's, it's the Messiah, the Son of God, looking upon this woman who is in distress and in grief, who had begun to believe that like a roaring lion was the real thing, that death somehow could have victory over God. So much so that she couldn't process, she couldn't think through things, that Jesus in this intimate way did not give her more information, did not tell her, why do you have doubt? Why do you not fully believe me? But just so simply says her name that it caused her to turn and said that you can trust me. It's going to be okay, Mary. Your teacher, the Messiah, your friend, your Savior is here. I, I, just, I just love this idea, this thought. It, it goes along with what Jesus had said in John chapter 10. To the gatekeeper, he opens to the shepherd. He's talking about to the, the gatekeeper opens for the shepherd. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That we know the difference between the shepherd and the robber. The shepherd and the thief. Although the thief, the robber, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The shepherd has come to give life and life abundantly because the shepherd has laid down his life for his sheep. And the sheep knows his name. And so the sheep, or the, the, the shepherd knows her name and the, the, the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. And so for us here, if you have understanding and belief and, and turn to Christ, if you've given your heart and surrendered to him, if you recognize that he is your Lord and Savior, that, that there is an intimacy that is there, that Jesus knows your name, that he leads you and calls you out. Not just in some rank and file, not in just some kind of authoritative manner, although there is that part of it. But there's the tenderness, the intimacy, that he knows your name. You know, even, even now as you're sitting here, I want you to kind of imagine and picture you in this moment. Your back turned to Jesus, and Jesus is simply saying your name. Picturing the fact that he knows your name. For Mary and everything, this changed it all. This was the part, this was the moment that, 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 that did everything. When, when, when Jesus called Mary's name, it's so much more powerful than just her name being said in a sweet, kind gesture. It was a claim 
Just as the, the, the empty tomb was a claim over sin and death, now Jesus was making this claim that you are mine, Mary. That I would never leave you. That you are not lost. You are not orphaned. You are not forsaken. That you are mine. That you're in my family. That you are going to be a part of this kingdom. And forever and forever and forever. You know, this sweet intimacy with God is what he brings to us on this Easter morning. The sweet intimacy is what God does. And so with this, I want you to hear what Easter is saying. I want you to hear it. And for some of you, you need to hear it in very specific ways. And the beauty of who God is, is that there is, yes, one way and one way only through Christ. But yet he goes and gathers all of us from all different parts and all different seasons and all different walks. And for some of us, we need to hear something very specific about Easter this morning. For some of you, you need to hear that there is hope that Christ can pull you out of the darkness. For some of you, you need to hear that silent Saturday isn't the end of the week. Isn't the end of the story. That a new day has come, that Sunday has come, and that there is hope in the darkness that you're feeling right now. That hope can be found in the power that moved the stone or it can be found in the intimacy of Jesus calling Mary's name. But you can find that and there is hope. For some of you this morning, you need to realize that there's the end of the reversal. That although your life maybe have been marked by the ways of Adam and Eve through one man of Christ, there is something new that is beginning. Although in your life you may look and say, but I have done this and I have done this and I have done this and I have screwed up and I have failed and I have, have turned my back and I have run away and I have done all these things and we can acknowledge them as truth, but it doesn't disqualify you from the love of God. And on that cross <coughs> and through the silent Saturday and on to the hope of Sunday, <coughs> there is a reversal that has come. And out of that darkness and out of that silence came a roar <coughs> and the real lion is being claimed to victory. Some of you this morning need to know that that empty tomb exposes the lies. That, it, that empty tomb is saying that those lies, that the, the, the pathological liar, the father of lies are not true. And for some of you, you need to keep going back to that, not just once a year, but you need to keep going back to that every single day of your lives to say, if the resurrection is true, then it changes everything. And if the resurrection wasn't true, then, then why did that stone move? Why didn't the Romans produce the body? Why didn't the Jewish leaders proclaim that Jesus was dead? Here's his body. Why would ordinary disciples turn, or ordinary people, the disciples, turn the world upside down? Why would they give their lives to something they knew wasn't true? That empty tune exposes the lies of the pathological liar. 
And we need to be reminded of that daily. Still others this morning need to hear an invitation with your name. You need to hear that same invitation that Jesus gave to Mary. Even though she turned her back to him, she hears her name being said and it meant everything to her. Maybe this morning you feel like no one sees you or hears you. Maybe this morning you feel like you haven't even remembered the last time you heard your name spoken in a sweet, intimate way. And this morning you need to realize that Jesus knows your name. To those that have put their faith and trust in him, we are his. And like the good shepherd, the shepherd knows the names of his sheep. And he calls them out and they hear his voice and they turn and they follow him. And so this morning you need to hear that. Whatever you need to, to know, whatever Easter <coughs> is saying to you, hear the claim that, of Easter and turn to him. Turn to him. You don't have to have everything figured out. I don't have to tell you what the future will hold. I can't explain every single thing. I, it's impossible. Nobody will. But I can tell you, because of the resurrection of Christ, that I'm going to bet my life on it. And because of the resurrection of Christ, in this moment, I can see the power he has and the intimacy he has. And it's both things that I need in my life. And no matter what I've done and no matter what I will do, he has paid it all. 